Welcome to Esoteric America, a podcast where we tour the strange, mystical, and esoteric pathways hidden beneath the surface of America. Join Mark, Tara, Roman, Chad, and a new local researcher each episode as we dive into our country's diverse regions, states, counties, cities, towns, neighborhoods, parks, etc., leaving no stone unturned as we unravel the cult knots that tie history, culture, religion, all in with fringe elements that you may not have realized were at play in your own backyard. Tank waiting for a train A thousand miles away from home Sleeping in the rain I walked up to a brakeman To give him a line of talk He says if you've got money I'll see that you don't walk I haven't got a nickel Not a penny can I show Get off, get off, you railroad bomb, he slammed the boxcar door. They put me off in Texas. A state I dearly love The wide open spaces all around me The moon and stars above Nobody seems to want me Or lend me a helping hand I'm on my way from Dixie I'm going back to Dixieland But my pocketbook is empty And my heart is full of pain I'm a thousand miles away from home, just waiting for a train. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. give me a warning so I can smile. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not on us, but I will, I promise. I have done that to people. False start. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are. Back again in Austin, Texas, this is Esoteric America, a show where we examine the things that are hiding in plain sight, the things that have been forgotten in the annals of history, and we specifically have focus on America because this place, if you spend any time, a significant amount of time in America, you start to realize there's a lot of mysteries. And it's not just on the television. It's not just in books. There are mysteries in your own backyard. And we change the show up a little bit. We do still want to have guests on. We still do want to have listeners on the show. Today, we have some uh, contributions from a listener. So shout out to them. We will be reading your message. Um, but for now, we're going to be going month by month talking about the uh, same place. And this month we're talking about Austin, Texas. Why? I don't know. Austin's not particularly, I don't think of Austin when I think of December, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that's just my <laughs> New England sensibilities. I don't think of Texas and think winter. I think uh, Texas and summer, but here we are. Uh, 
Of course, I'm joined by my lovely girlfriend, Tara, who you can see on camera. She has a microphone in front of her. She's going to try to talk into it. Hi. <laughs> awesome. Hi, everyone. She does. She she's getting better, folks. And of course, we have <laughs> Roman from Rising from the Ashes podcast, uh, one of two great hosts on the Rising from the Ashes podcast. And he also has a What's bunch up? of cool stuff going on on his Patreon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. The Patreon just launched. Finally got around to finally making some like T-shirts. <laughs> uh and some other stuff and so that's been really fun uh lo lots of great ways to to support the 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 um the the content creators during the holiday times and while also still getting some gifts for your friends yay mm. and of course we are joined by chad stemke himself of course he's the author of stargate detroit you can go to chadstemke.com slash store and get yourself a copy on microflip usb i don't know how many books you can get on microflip usb um chad quick question is your book available in print it's also available in print so please. at the moment at the moment it's not available in print oh, just okay. on the micro usb right on well we got to get that back yeah, in unfortunately print the printing cost has got out of hand these days mm. we we got to get that back in print so folks support chad pick up one of those microflip yes. usbs and uh Let's get into it. We're here. This is Esoteric America. We're talking about Austin, Texas, some place that has kind of hit the scene. I don't know if I said this last time we were on the show. I hope I'm not repeating myself, but Austin's kind of uh, a big deal these days, right? Especially after the, mm -hmm. the whole, you know, pandemic, Austin kind of hit the, the scene as like, you know, we're free, we're open, all the entertainment business is still going on here, come have fun. So uh, I think Austin's definitely worth looking at, despite it not being Christmas themed or December themed. And uh, that's all I'll say for now. Who wants to go first? We, we have all done some research. We're going to go round table, listeners. So uh, Roman, you said you wanted to go first. Awesome. Go ahead. Let's do it, man. Yeah, let me um, let me put my. Uh, I, I'm trying to take some some notes from Chad style, and I, I made a little presentation. It's not really a presentation; it's more just slides. So it's like can be relatively concise information. Um, and we're gonna start off with just um, some history, kind of like I did last time, and we'll get into that. So let me hit this button, and let me go here and share my screen. And we'll get into it, y'all. Now, this isn't the most, uh, you know, this is just, and it's important history is what it is. Um, I, it's, it's important to, when we're looking at all the aspects, um, to look at, you know, who founded it? What are we looking at? Where do the roots come from? And, you know, <laughs> it turns out they're very Masonic, which seems to be a trend, the the founding of this country and a lot of other towns. So we're going to get into the, um, the first Anglo American settlers of Texas. Now this is a very prominent family. Uh, welcome to the house of slaughter. So we have the slaughter family. <clears throat> 
Slaughter Lane was named for Slaughter Creek, which in turn was named for the family who first moved to the area the time Texas became a republic. According to the city documents, Stephen F. Slaughter arrived from Kentucky with his wife and with at least one child, Augustine, which directly correlates to the name Austin with Augustus and Octavia, uh, which we kind of went over last time. Uh, Etymologically, it, it does tie back to Austin and you can spell Austin and Augustine and Stephen F. Austin or or Stephen Austin was the name of the guy who founded uh, Austin. And like I said, look in history, you guys will find name synchronicities a lot. Um, According to the genealogy book, Austin Colony Pioneers, Stephen F. Slaughter represented the minor municipality of the convention of 1833 in San Felipe, an event that was a step toward the the Texas settlers' bid for independence. The Texas Revolution began two years later. Now, we'll go back here to the slides. I was like... I, I thought I was going to find that's when I was looking more like paranormal stuff. And I thought the slaughter um, thing was going to be like the Shoal Creek murders that we had talked about. But instead, it actually is a family of very prominent Texans. And that said that it was one of the first families noted to be um, a part of the, the new Texas revival. Now, hold on one second. I, my dog is chewing on a bone really loud. Can you guys hear that in the background? No, very, very, it's very slight. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to bother anybody <laughs> listening, but uh, I don't know, I could be wrong. What are you going to do, throw another bone at it? What are you going to do, Roman? I was going to, he listen. He listens very well to snaps, so I was going to give him the, the hit, one to Hit one him too. with a snap. Did you, boy? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good boy. Okay, so yes, welcome to the House of Slaughter. Okay, so let's get into some more name sinks. There are massive amounts of George W's. Now, I think that this is going to be a classic thing that happens. Um, as you know, as we kind of like look through the entire country, because George Washington was such a prominent uh figure in history, there's going to be people obviously named after him. But in the founding of Texas, there was a lot of George W's that I came across. And I was like, no way there's a George W slaughter as I was looking into the slaughter family. So let's check out what this guy's got going on. Um, The East Texas Baptist world of George Webb slaughter. The um here 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 we go here we go here we go the East Texas Baptist world of George Webb Slaughter out of the mystic dawn of the Baptist work in East Texas in the 1840s emerges the form of George Webb Slaughter one of the early missionary Baptist proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ in 1826-1827 George Webb a lad in his mid-teens and an already accomplished horseman carried mail between McGuffins or Crow ferry via Fort Jessup to Louisiana, where he may have met Sam Houston. This is the founder of Houston. Him and uh, Steve Austin um, were 
technically kind of called the fathers of Texas. The future held many thrilling episodes for the young slaughter. The mystique of warfare was his natural legacy because American revolutionary Minutemen, Walter Slaughter, veteran of Captain Thomas Wade's light horse cavalry, was George Webb's grandfather, and William, his father, had served with Andrew Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. George Webb Slaughter was born on May 10th, 1811 in Lawrence County, Mississippi, the state in which he remained until 1825, and at that time his father, lured by the prospect of free land and greater opportunities, began the arduous wagon journey toward Texas. Stopping in the Sabine Parish, Louisiana, they made their home near Fort Jessup for five years. During this time, George Webb began freighting commodities across the Sabine River into the Mexican-controlled Catholic Texas. With an eye to an even larger business ventures, it was probably George Webb's persuasiveness that induced his father to cross the river in 1830 and settle in Sabine County. After participating in the Battle of... <clears throat> okay. I don't even know. I'm not even going to try to attempt to say this one. Uh, uh, Nacogdoches. Yeah, in the Battle of Nacogdoches, in the summer of 1832, Slaughter continued to transport goods from Louisiana to Texas. Okay, you guys get the picture. The Slaughter family is supremely, uh, supremely relevant in the history, but I wanted to get to this character, one of my favorites. Let's go. Boop. Christopher Columbus Slaughter. <laughs> Um, and so we'll find the Masonic connections between the Slaughter family just after these slides. But this is, uh, this is Sir Christopher Columbus, otherwise known as CC, his family would call him. Just a classic, classic dude. Um, <clears throat> the five members of the 8th Texas Calvary. Look at those guys. Christopher Columbus Slaughter, a ranching pioneer, banker, and philanthropist, hmm, was born on February 9th, 1837 in Sabine County, Texas, one of the five children of George Webb and Sarah Mason Slaughter. He claimed to be the first male cho uh, child born of a marriage contracted under the Republic of Texas. That's a big deal. Um, he was educated at home and at Larissa College in Cherokee County. As a boy, he worked cattle with his father, and at age 12, he helped drive the family's 92 head herd into a ranch of the Trinity River, Freestone County, where the family moved in 1852. There, because of his expertise in herding cattle across the often swollen river, he was regularly employed by drovers bound for Shreveport and Brazos. Um, Raz's country livestock. At age 17, he made a trading expedition hauling timber from Anderson County to Dallas County for sale and processing Callan County wheat into flour for sale in Magnolia, Anderson County, a trip that yielded him $520 in profit. With this money, he bought his uncle's interest in the slaughter herd. Having observed the better quality of the Brazos stock, he persuaded his father to move farther west. They selected a site in Palo Pinto County, so on and so forth. Uh, there's a huge, huge uh, Masonic connection with the with the Slaughter family, and the main reason I went down this rabbit hole is obviously because of their last name. Yes, they are noted as one of the first families 
to come to Texas to be an Anglo-American family in Texas. Christopher Columbus being born of like one of the first males, child children, technically born in Texas and having a direct connection to Austin. Um, and this, there's a, these, these are the 300 families that were said to have moved here in Texas when given offerings. And this is why, this is why Stephen Austin was, uh, considered like the father of Texas was because like this bill right here, the old 300 were 297 grantees who purchased 307 parcels of land from Stephen Fuller, Austin in Mexican, Texas. Each grantee was held a household or in some cases, a partnership of married men. Austin was an American approved uh, in 1822 by Mexico as an impresario uh, for this effort. So it was kind of like, like we remember talking about Austin and his father kind of having this um, agreement with Spain. And that's why they were able to get all these land grants. And he was given multiple um, opportunities from the Spanish government to take these land grants. The first time he had fucked up. And the second time they were like, okay, we're going to give it to you again as they were evading tax fraud and they were going to get, they were going to get murdered where they were at. So in order to flee that, they made another deal and that's when they came down to Texas. So, um, these 300 families, uh, but they, they couldn't be just anybody. They had to, they had to be Catholic. They had to be of good moral character (laughs) They had to improve the land, usually by adding structures, and they had to cultivate the land within two years or forfeit it. So they were holding precedence, obviously, to the families chosen to be here. So the Slaughter family, being one of those families, you know, rubbing elbows with Stephen Austin, who's incredibly prolific with money and all these things that's when the slaughters started to become a very prominent family in texas and texas has been well known for having big money for a long time cattle ranching oil railroad stuff like it's it's very prominent um yeah so here here we go we got um the memorial grand lodge temple uh the masonic grand lodge of texas um, let's see, uh, where, where did I put this up? Oh yeah. Many noted figures in Texas and Baylor history were Freemasons, including Stephen Aston, uh, Austin, Sam Houston, George W. Truitt, another George W. The, like many Freemason lodges, this was supposed to be modeled after King Solomon's temple. <laughs> Get out of here. There's no way. You you have the the dimensions to build King Solomon's temple like and you look at some of these grand lodges and they're they're terrible. Um, I have this book. We can go through this later if you guys want to. It's the history of the Scottish Rite Masonry in Texas. Um, but that's it. That's it on the Slaughter family. You guys got any questions on 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 those guys or Austin or anybody? Well, I would say that. Uh, yeah, I got a quick question. Go ahead, Chad. Go ahead. Uh, like like two slides ago, Romy, you said that it said that the Masonic headquarters moved from Houston mm-hmm. to Waco. To Waco. Uh, yep. That seems unusual. Yeah, it seems unusual moving from that big city to Waco, which at the time was you know nothing. Well, Waco's That's right. Something I noticed. Conveniently, 
in between Houston and Austin, right on the highway. So it's like, it's yeah, almost uh, like a, a right, middle. Okay. Point. In the middle. Yeah. Huh. And okay. That makes sense. Well, so the reason why this, all of that led into the, Oh, sorry, Mark. And you had a question, sir. No, go ahead and answer Chad. Okay. Um, yeah. So the reason all of that family history, I thought was going to be important to get to this thing, which I was just, I, I saw it. I saw the Buchanan dam and I was like, there's something to this dam. And this is kind of where, where we find oh. ourselves. So the Buchanan dam. Let me dam say this, Roman. Is, yeah. You said something about Solomon's temple. As mm-hmm. far as I know, and I really, I think Chad actually might be more uh, able to answer this or clarify but as far as I know, that's a symbolic message. When they say, "Oh, we built this in the, mm-hmm. you know, you know, in the proportions of Solomon's <laughs> yeah. temple," I think it's that means real. that they did like a ceremony for the building, right? It doesn't mean that oh, it follows the same blueprint that Solomon's temple did. It means that there was some sort of significance to this building, right? <clears throat> the Freemasons and um, a lot of Rosicrucian. Uh, arms and limbs of the the Rosicrucian families and branches worship a Solomonic through Solomonic uh, magic. Uh, you know, they, 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 they have the greater and lesser key of it. Um, it was interpreted by one of the main interpretations of the greater and lesser key was in fact interpreted by uh, Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley was given permission to um, get the original transcripts. And then he and somebody else had like worked to actually, to break it down. So in Freemasonry, they hold Solomon up to a very high standard, um, which is, yeah, really interesting because that's not the only lodge they say is like that. I think you're right. I think it's a a, a ritualistic homage that they, they have to do. I mean, it's just part of it, you know, (laughs) like, cause if you look at these buildings, there really is no uh, similarities between what we would consider Solomon's temple. Since we don't even really know what that looks like. We only have, like iterations of Solomon's temple. I mean, the original Solomon's temple, and then that was recreated, but that wasn't Solomon's temple, the recreation, you know? So shrouded in mystery, all of it. Um, So Buchanan Dam, I was like, there's something to this Buchanan Dam. I need to figure it out. Um, So there was, there is something to the Buchanan Dam. There's a lost civilization that rises from Lake Buchanan. Now, it's not necessarily a lost civilization in which you may think, but the story is interesting nonetheless. So the Colorado River feeds into Texas and just north of uh, Austin. It's close enough that I, I found it to be relevant. It's really close to Austin. It's less than an hour away. And um, I'll read a little bit from this and then I'll, I'll cap off the story just because this beginning part's kind of silly. Every civilization has its lost culture. The Romans had Pompeii, the Inca have Machu Picchu, and Central Texans have the town of Bluffton. When Buchanan Dam was completed in 1937, the rising waters of the Colorado River submerged thousands of acres in Burnett and Llano counties. The newly formed Lake Buchanan covered site of pecan orchards, cornfields, and the town of Bluffton. Roughly 50 families had to sell their land into the lower Colorado River. The authority moved their homes and even graves to a higher ground. 
there's different accounts that say there were 300 graves that had to get removed. Um, and they were like, you guys, you know, we know you don't want to move your family's gravestones. We know, you, you know, that this, this land is important to you, but we're, you know, we're building this dam. It's going to extend. It's going to take seven or eight years. So take your time, you know, no worries. Well, it just so happened that they got hit with so many flash floods and so many storms after the dam was built that whatever type of <laughs> ritualistic ceremonies they were doing to make the dam fill faster, because you know these money-hungry fucks were like seven years to have this dam, which is going to give the entire, uh, at least like the Western Hemisphere of Texas, hydroelectric power and be a huge power plant. We need this to fill up faster. There, It filled up so fast that the entire town of Bluffton was actually swallowed and lots of people lost their lives. And so the town, uh, the lake itself now actually is... Uh, it's covered in old graveyard. It's covered in old town. It's covered in old orchards, like it said. And so that's why they call it the ghost town um, or the lost civilization that is hidden underneath Lake Buchanan. And so I was like, okay, well, that's really interesting. You know, that's a classic type of syncretic thing that we see happen with, uh, you know, people in power, you know, uh, putting, putting their stamp on it. Well, then I looked a little closer and I was like, oh, I see this stamp that's been put on by the BlackRock family, by the BlackRock organization, because just outside of the Buchanan Dam is the BlackRock Park. And that's what really got me going. I was like, oh. So here's, um, here, here, here we are on uh, maps. And just east or just west of Buchanan Dam and the lake, you have the town of Mason. So if we were to, oh, don't go back. If we're to scroll in here, got Art Highway, the Art Highway here. If you take the Art Highway just east of Mason, you'll uh, you have to take Austin Street though. That's what I thought was funny. It is Austin Street is the main street on Highway 29 where you'll enter, uh, you'll pass through the town of Art um, through Austin Street. So you go to Mason, you go Art, and then you end up over here at the Buchanan Dam. And then here, just on the west shore of the Buchanan Dam, come on, maps, give me, give me some satisfaction here. There we go. It's a tiny little park. Goodness, come on, zoom in here. Aha, black. <laughs> zooms in too much. Black Rock Park. Okay, I was like, oh god, yes. I was like, some juice. I was like, what is up with Black Rock Park? I tried to find who funded it, so on and so forth. But then I started finding there's Black Rock Parks everywhere, all over the country. And I was like, oh shit. Okay, so let's look at some of these other Black Rock Parks. Well, let's look at the biggest Black Rock Park just north of New York City. Black Rock State Park is a massive state park that is just north of New York City that is in fact ran by the Black Rock uh, Park organization um, where we know that Black Rock has its um, its fingers in New York right and uh, the the state park covers 444 acres hold, hold exactly. on hold on hold on hold on 
You know you're looking at a picture of Connecticut, right? Why are you saying New York? Oh, the, the so the Black Rock State Park Mountain is State North. Park. Huh? Black Rock Mountain State Park is in New York? Um, let's see which one is in Cuz the one no, you're looking one at right now is in Connecticut, Black Rock State Park. I've been there. We Tara and I have been there. That's why I'm like, why are you talking about Black Rock? <laughs> Here, let's see. Uh, Black you know Rock. what Black Rock is, right? I do. Like uh, the military corporation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. All right. And you know well, who? Do you know who James Buchan- Buchanan is? I do know who James Buchanan is. That's exactly who the dam is named after. Okay. Okay. But are you are you going towards that, or are, do you have more on Buchanan? Um, I do have some Buchanans uh, teed up here, but I wanted to go, go into go why and where these black rocks are commonly located. And Hit the me. theme is consistent, very consistent. They're either associated with golf courses or they're associated next to water. And <clears throat> throughout the six different uh, black rock parks that I pulled up, they're directly right next to water every time. Um, so we were already here, uh, the, well, except for, except for one in the black rock desert, <laughs> uh, which I thought was really interesting. But, but what was cool about the black rock desert is they had this specific geyser in the black rock desert, but we're not going to get into that. We'll get into that some other time, but yeah, so you guys black rock golf course in Maryland, uh, um, and then you got the black rock. Black Rock Park right here, Black Rock Forest. Did you did you uh, find out why they name it Black Rock other than So I tried to look up reasons. I was like, is there an indigenous reason? Is there a notable rock face structure? It's hard to find who funded it, who named these uh places, but there is a black it rock. just says right there, Black Rock, so that this park was or, was named after the group that donated the land. So there's a Black Forest, Rock Forest Incorporated. Maybe mm-hmm. that has something to do with it. There is a website. I have it somewhere up here in my million tabs that are pulled up. Huh. Uh, but but either way, the the uh, there is an organization that is associated with the bigger state parks. Now, when it comes to the smaller ones, I couldn't find any associations with the bigger organization. So I don't know. And plus those last ones, that's what I was like. I literally actually just got down this rabbit hole right before we started recording. When I started looking at all the other black rock parks Um, (laughs) and the black rock park that's associated with the Buchanan dam is actually really small. Like it's not even more than, 25 acres. Um, but yeah, so James P or James Buchanan, uh, the president, which is not this guy, there's a lot of James Buchanan's there's more namesinks, right? So, so far we've gotten a lot of George W's we've got a Christopher Columbus and this was the other namesinks I was finding is, um, these, these different, uh, gents and, uh, there's a, and he was, his family moved to Texas and settled near Chapel Hill in Washington County, um, where he got his law degree at the University of Texas in Austin. Now, this isn't, 
I, I try to look up a little bit of the exact family line. He's not exactly descendant of James Buchanan, the president himself, um, but there's another James McGill Buchanan from you know, the South. You know, Michael Wan, um, Michael Wan was selling a lot of his art at the beginning of this year, and one of the people that came to buy one of his pieces of art was a seventh removed generate like a seventh descendant of james buchanan so like i i don't know like what that would make him like the great 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 grandson or whatever but or or great 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 nephew or something from uh, james buchanan the president but it's funny because mike wan has done some research into james buchanan uh because he was buried in this very strange um place in pennsylvania he was you know uh, from Pennsylvania. He was buried in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and he has this uh, Masonic Rosicrucian pyramid as his grave marker. I don't know if you went and saw that, Roman, but maybe pull that up. Um, just type in uh, James Buchanan presidential grave, something like that. You should see a picture of it. It's this very obvious Rosicrucian pyramid, and what I mean by Rosicrucian pyramid is the group that calls themselves the Rosicrucians within the United States. They, they have, uh, they have, you know, a whole sort of symbol set. Uh, I, you need to type in grave. I don't think the tomb is. Um, well, apparently he has a, has a tomb as well. Huh. Uh, well, maybe I'm. Uh, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the James Buchanan Memorial. Look up memorial. Oh, I said Rosicrucian. Try type in memorial. Jesus, come on! James Buchanan was a uh, was actually such an interesting. Uh, I'm just going to type in pyramid as well. There it is. <laughs> right there. The first one. It's like a huge pyramid in the woods in this park. And that's built in memorial of James Buchanan. So I, I guess park? he wasn't buried under question. it. Uh, in Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. It's not in the Black Rock Park. <laughs> well, I don't know that. I guess that's to symbol his birthplace. There there it is. That's okay. Huh. All right. Well, I mixed up birthplace and uh grave, but yeah, that's basically what <laughs> like, I thought what's of the when point? you said Buchanan like, Lake. They're de deify deifying James Buchanan, who is the tenth president. I know it's just like put a pyramid where the birth part of I mean that's incredible. I mean that's that's a homage and a ritual to the, the the Rosicrucian order and the Fre the Freemason order, no doubt. Oh yeah, yeah. There's more. There's definitely more. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, James Buchanan. That might be more of like a land Lancaster topic mm -hmm. if we talk about Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 
but uh, I don't think they do these sort of sinks by accident, like these name sinks. No. Obviously, there are people who are descendants and they want to give homage and they name things after people they're related to. Mm-hmm. But with mm-hmm. this president, you know, that's an indication that, yeah, maybe the guys who damned that river were Masons or, or Rosicrucians. They, they, they absolutely, uh, in my in my opinion, I, I would have reason to believe so. If Stephen Austin himself was a notable Freemason and same with Sam Houston, and this is just due west of there, and that's going to supply their towns and their cities with electricity. Um, and this was just the boom when electricity was happening as well. So they were basically ahead of the game. Uh, but one last thing uh, that I have on the Buchanans is I, I did find that it's, the, the Buchanan clan is a prominent family from uh, Scottish Gaelic, the Highland Scottish clan, whose origins are said to lie in the 2025 Grant lands of the eastern shore of Loch Lomond. Um, and the Sir, Sir Absalon of Buchanan by the Earl of Lennox. So, you know, we brought up earlier like the Scottish Rite uh, history in Texas and that it's pretty prominent. So, you know, you have this like Scottish Buchanan connection with the Texas families, the Slaughter family and the Masonic history with the Austins. And yeah, it's, um, ooh, and some, the Ku Klux Klan in Dallas. It's a thing. Uh, there's other mysterious lakes in Texas, but this is, you know, it's not in Austin and I've been chatting for a while, so I'm going to pass the mic. Right on. <clears throat> Well, thanks, Roman. Yeah, I definitely think that was uh, that was interesting amount of uh, nice. people named Slaughter, oh. given how you know bloody the history is. I'm sure Chad will kind of elaborate on that. <laughs> uh, but who's up next, Tara? You want to jump in? You want to tell us about the Tonkawa before we go and look at uh, the more modern aspects of Austin? We can go back a little bit. Who preceded yeah. these guys that built this dam and all that? Yep, these were the um, the Tonkawa people that um, were in Austin before the the white people. So I want to read. I'll read their history and their creation story, which I thought was something. So the Tonkawa belonged to the Tonkawan linguistic family that was once composed of a number of small subtribes that lived in a region that extended west from south central Texas and western Oklahoma to eastern New Mexico. And this, um, yeah, I'm just reading this out loud for the Like, I read it in my head before this, but just on the spot. The Tonkawa had a distinct language, and their name as that of the leading tribe was applied to their linguistic family. They were one of the most warlike tribes during nearly two centuries of conflict with their enemy tribes on the Western Plains and with the Spanish and later American settlers in the Southwest. Their men were famous warriors, and their chiefs bore many scars of battle. 
The Tonkawa women were also strong physically and vindictive in disposition. The people of this tribe were nomadic in their habits in the early historic period, moving their teepee villages according to the wishes of the chiefs of the different bands. They planted a few crops, but were well known as great hunters of buffalo and deer, using bows and arrows and spears for weapons, as well as some firearms secured from early Spanish traders. Yes. They became skilled riders and owned many good horses in the 18th century. From about 1800, the Tankawa were allied with the Lipan Apache and were friendly to the Texans and other southern divisions by 1837 they had for the most part drifted toward the southwestern frontier of texas and were among the tribes identified in mexican territory um the tankawa were removed from fort griffin Texas in October 1884. They were transported by railroad from a station in Cisco, Texas to a temporary stop at the Sac, Sac Fox Agency near Stroud, Oklahoma. The entire tribe wintered at the Sac Fox Agency until spring, then traveled the last 100 miles by wagon, fording many rain swelled rivers, and axle-deep mud caused by severe spring rains. They reached the Ponca Agency on June 29th and then finally to Oakland on June 30th, 1885. This was the Tonkawa Trail of Tears, a time in... Um, yeah. And now they have a powwow dedicated to that every June. Um... So they were known for their peyote ceremonies, which I thought was, I feel like it came up at some point in, in another episode we did. But Yeah, no, I have something to relate to that too. And it's where the, the they're one of the tribes to start the Native American church that's all over the U.S. now, I think. Oh, wow. But. So they also, I don't know if you mentioned this, but they entered a treaty with Stephen Austin. So I think yeah. I think we either talked about that last time or, or maybe Roman mentioned that. And uh, there was the Battle of Plum Creek and the Battle of Little Robe Creek where the Tonkawa fought alongside the Texas Rangers uh, against the Comanche, who I guess the Comanche were sort of... Uh, had a had a nasty reputation, I guess, compared to the Tonkawa. But it is interesting considering like that word Tonka is traditionally uh, associated with Native Americans. I wonder if that, you know, has a, a wider meaning across many different tribes or maybe it was like one of these words that got picked up and associated with Native Americans by Europeans. One example of that in New England is Tom Tom. Whenever you see like a Mount Tom, it's not named after some dude named Tom. It was referring to the fact that Native Americans played their drums from those mountains, right? They would be on top of the mountain. They'd be like, bum, 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 bum. And the, you know, the colonists and settlers, they'd hear, you know, drumming from the mountains and be like, oh, that's Mount, Do Mount Tom, you know, Tom, Tom, Tom. Uh, so 
you know, little like things like that, you know, to your point, Roman, earlier about like the name games and like how they flip names around and stuff. Like most people, they look at Mount Tom and be like, yeah, some dude named Tom was probably a farmer here. And, you know, that, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what I thought <laughs> with our Mount Tom originally. But yeah, there was, uh, there was a lot of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of Tonkawa that were killed. Um, and they were sent to Fort Griffin and that started their own trail of tears, not the official trail of tears, but, uh, sort of like Texas to Oklahoma trail of tears. And that is remembered every year with a powwow. And, uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, I don't know if you guys have talked about this, but it came up on my show with several different guests, peyote for people who don't know. It wasn't something that was used ceremonially. Uh, actually, I think Peter Shampoo talked about this on this show. I don't know. I think whether it was Chad or Roman that wasn't present for that episode. Roman, right? You weren't there for the shampoo episode. But I think Peter talked about this and how the ghost dance, you know, peyote, it wasn't really used ceremonially until uh, relatively recently, you know, the last 100, 200 years uh, after the Native Americans had been di displaced in so many different areas. It was like a, a medicine for, you know, the cultural genocide that had taken place so you know although these things may not seem explicitly esoteric for folks you know i like to think about the fact that you know the land we tread on for thousands of years was tread on by different people that we don't know that much about so you know they're they're completely esoteric to us in, in a certain definition um but you know it's a lot it's a lot of history to go through with the with the native americans it's very complicated stuff it seems just from my perspective anything else to add yeah i think it's important because we you know we've had we've had it come up in almost all the other episodes so we we have to pay homage and roots to the mm. Uh, the indigenous histories of places because <clears throat> it's important uh, and it's 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 more important than a lot of these you know <laughs> these old white masons that I fucking get stuck uh, well, down there you know that's the thing <laughs> though to pay too much attention to them, you know that's the thing though is we we can't go we can't get into that logic of like oh one's better than the other or you know one's guilty like the masons are equally interesting they're interesting in their own respect and i think you know we can't assign blame to things that happened <laughs> in the past i think they just they just get more uh more time dedicated to understanding than the natives do sure but yeah not, yeah not yeah anymore I, I agree yeah yeah sure absolutely cool well when it comes to peyote uh, there's a, a figure that many people know about he's very notorious his name's alistair crowley and he famously i think got peyote for the first time in detroit or not austin texas but he he wasn't a stranger to austin texas and in this book that tobias churton wrote he's written several different biographies about alistair crowley and this one's just about alistair crowley in america and it seems that crowley was tripping on peyote uh while he was 
in contact with Professor Lindley Miller Keesby, who is um, alive pretty much the same range as Crowley, died in 1946, and he was a professor of institutional history at the University of Austin, Texas. And this was somebody that I, we can't say Crowley was friends with, but he definitely corresponded with him. Uh, and now, currently, there is an OTO Lodge in Austin, Texas. So um, nice. it's called the Scarlet Lodge, the Scarlet Whoa. Woman Lodge. And OTO it, is the face of an owl too, bro. <laughs> good, good point. Mm-hmm. So the OTO, yeah. you know, historically... They has have sort of an interesting history. They they started with a guy named Theodore Roos, then Crowley got involved somehow, kind of took over and became you know somewhat of the main guy, and then branched off and did his own thing with Thelema. And around you know some time when he branched off, the OTO continued what they were doing <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, under a guy named Germer, uh, and. The OTO had branches with Jack Parson, too. He was the head of a lodge in uh, California. And then at some point, they kind of incorporated and became more of an official thing, OTO. And then, you know, sometime in the 90s, this uh, lodge in Austin is founded. So it's not, you know, historically uh, interesting, I guess, to point out. But I do think that... You know, there were people for a while who were interested in this kind of stuff in Austin, maybe because of the conservative nature of Texas. They just kept things under wraps until, you know, things sort of the whole culture sort of shifted around the 90s. So who knows? Maybe maybe there were people operating in this kind of thing in secrecy uh, before that. But as far as I could tell, the Austin iteration of the OTO was is very recent. But given what we learned about from Emily and the fact that, uh, you know, uh, there might be portals and pocket dimensions of some kind in Austin, I mean, who knows what what uh, Crowley's effect on that was because he was up there in Texas, or I'm sorry, up there in the Great Lakes, uh, you know, with the vortex up there. And curiously, the other, there's only, to this day, there's like six main OTO lodges Two of them are in Los Angeles. One's in um, New York City. There's one in Austin. And the rest are all in the Great Lakes area. There's four in the Great Lakes area. Minnesota, Chicago, um, Cleveland, and Buffalo. So not Michigan, but, you know, they're all around that vortex area. So I may connect loosely to this Detroit Stargate. Who knows? Just a speculation at this point. But, uh, yeah, some... Sometime in Crowley's life, he was in pretty close communication with this guy, Keesby, at the University of Austin. And uh, eventually that that guy, Keesby, got kicked out of the University of Austin because he was uh, sort of a socialist. And it's interesting to note that Crowley didn't really like his socialist leaning either. Uh, I don't know what their correspondence was about. I haven't read the whole context of the chapter, but uh, it definitely talks about Austin in this Crowley biography. So that's what I have to to contribute uh, as far as Crowley goes. Uh, Chad, you, you kind of, I feel like, are going to 
bridge all the gaps and and put a, a knot on this bow what do you say you got some some interesting stuff for us I do and before it leaves my mind I'm, there is another connect I don't know if it's a connection but at the same time Crowley would have been talking down here in Austin Detroit was actually sending some technology down to Austin. So I'll, I'll show you some of that technology in a few minutes. Oh, wow. They're called the moon towers. What? Yeah. Uh, Tara, I'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. yeah Tara and I yeah, were looking into bit. these moon towers a little yeah. bit. I'm glad you found something on it. Awesome. All right. Let's get into it then. Take it away, Chad. Yeah. A little. All right. All right, I'm working on sharing my screen here. Let's see. Whoa. Close a few things, sorry. This kind of reminds me of that 70s show. I know that 70s show takes place in, okay. um, I think it takes place in like Minnesota or w Wisconsin, that 70s show. But uh, they have those scenes in that show mm -hmm. where they're hanging out by the water tower and that picture of the moon tower that you had up there like kind of yeah. brought that to mind. Maybe also yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High affected that too. But uh, take it away, dude. Uh, all right. So I kind of went down a rabbit hole this week and talking about the dark underbelly of Austin. And it fits in perfect with all the history you guys shared today. We got the Slaughter family and namesakes. Well, we're going to see a lot of mass casualty events, a lot of, we'll call them Slaughter events. And this Dude. is something I normally talk about. So, you know, forgive me. It gets a little dark, but it's <laughs> part of the history. So I think we should go over it. Owl City, baby. So we're ooh. So the very first serial killer documented in America was in Austin, and he took on one of several nicknames. Was the Servant Girl Annihilator, and we are talking the years from 1884 to 1885, ooh. and he was also known as the Midnight Assassin. If anyone's interested in this case, when we're done talking, there's a book called The Midnight Assassin by Skip Hollinsworth. And I haven't had a chance to read it. I've read some experts. It's supposed, supposed to be a really good book about this case. That's definitely now, a pen name. I want to set the scene. Yes, absolutely a pen name. <laughs> so I want to set the scene, though. 1884, 1885, Austin's just really being built up. And the three main buildings in town are the Insane Asylum, which was the first main building in town. This was built in 1861, biggest and first building in town. A couple of years later, 20 years later, the University of Austin, they built mm -hmm. their main building. And a few years later, the Capitol building, 1885. <laughs> so the Capitol building's actually being built the same time that these murders are about to take place. So I just point that out so you can get a feel for the city. You know, we had the giant yeah. insane asylum, the university of Texas is taking off the <laughs> Capitol building is literally rising. I mean, that's proportionate. And there's a guy going around accurate as fuck, man. That's, that's crazy. insane, dude. Like one of the biggest buildings in your town is an insane asylum. Okay. 
Sweet. The biggest building. And then the other one's a college? Oh, far. all right. Yep. And they're pretty much <laughs> the only buildings in town. I mean, they're indoctrination the houses, stations. Buildings. It's an insane asylum. Indoctrination stations. Exactly, man. So at this time, this guy was known as the Midnight Assassin. And you got to remember, in the 1880s, there's hardly any lights in town. So once it got dark out, it was pitch black, other than a few lights in the middle of town. Well, this started off with a lady by the name of Molly Smith. She was 25, and she was murdered on the night of December 30th, day before New Year's Eve, 1884. And her husband, Walter Spencer, he was seriously wounded. Well, after the first case, the authorities, they just figured it was probably a ex-boyfriend or something. So they actually brought in the ex-boyfriend, put him on trial. But he had he had alibis, good alibis. They let him go. And it was kind of a mystery until a few months later, in March, two more girls, two Swedish servant girls were killed. I don't want to get into too much details because it's really gruesome, but these were called the axe murders. And this guy would basically go into their servant quarters and drag them out of their quarters while they were sleeping, drag them outside and use an ax to, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So they're really gruesome. And after the second set, they did the same thing. They tried to accuse the boyfriends, put them on trial and they were found innocent again. At this time, these people had no, no concept of a serial killer. You know, this really hadn't taken place. One guy hadn't just went out and started killing people as far as anybody was aware of. So they really had no concept. And so, you know, a few more people were killed. I won't get into every every one, but it ended up eight people were dead, another eight seriously wounded. And, you know, by towards the end of it, they were starting to figure out it had to be the same person or persons. And just to, once more to set the scene before we get into the culprits, the last two murders were the night of December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1885. There was two separate murders. And the guy that wrote the book, Midnight Assassin, he set the scene really nice. And he talks about how on that night, there's records that at the insane asylum, there's a brand new Santa Claus and all the insane lunatic patients were dancing around the Santa Claus New Christmas carols had just came out that year, so there's a big party going on at the Lunatic Asylum. Back at the Capitol, there's a big party for all the elite. All the guys in top, top hats were there discussing, basically discussing the murders. When somebody came running in saying, you know, there's been another murder. So-and-so's been found in her backyard. And, well, they really didn't know exactly what to do. They had some culprits, so we'll go over their culprits. Because to this day, it's still unsolved. But first culprits, like I said, were the ex-boyfriends. They all went on trial. They were all proven innocent, had alibis. Now, a lot of the white population actually believed that there could be a literal, what they called a cloud of death, or a black cloud of death, over the areas of the African-American communities. And they thought that this cloud could be causing men to go insane and they're killing people. And on the other hand, the African-American community, they were under the assumption that this was a white man who may have magic powers enabling <laughs> them to become invisible due to this, due to the circumstances. 
So, you know, still nobody had a clue what's going on here. They didn't have a good suspect and they're all believing crazy stuff. Other theories were the lunatics. Could the lunatics Mm -hmm. be escaping from the mental asylum and committing these crimes? Because this lunatic asylum was built on what was called the Kirkwood plan. And in the Kirkwood plan of these asylums, the patients weren't in any type of lockdown. They were pretty much free to roam around. So it, it wasn't that unconceivable that they could be doing this. They've actually, you know, they would actually be found roaming around town, town on occasions and they'd have to take them back, <laughs> back to the asylum. So that was one theory. Another theory was it was the moon itself. I mean, Wait, we're talking what? about lunatics, but they thought maybe the moon is, they thought oh. maybe the moon itself, because a lot I of these I... happened during full moon. The second you said that, yeah, I was I know in, you're in the Google moon. texting. I was just, I was just typing into Google as you spoke, servant, uh, servant girl murderer, full moon, question mark. <laughs> and this is, that, that's hilarious. I was going to yeah, see if that was one of their theories. Oh, yeah. Crazy. They could be, could be causing lunatics. They even put out there the whole werewolf scenario. That's could it be causing one of these? Yeah, so they didn't know what to make of this. You yeah. know, eight people dead, eight wounded, and they were coming up with all kinds of theories. Super technical. And like I said, moon, to this way. day, thanks, man. But to this day, it was never solved. Now, this was the first documented serial killer here in America, and it just quit. After New Year's Eve, 1885, the murders quit. They had started actually trying to put out a bounty. And it started at $3,000 back in the day. That was quite a bit. And it went up to, I think they got up to $5,000. But once they put in this bounty and the guys are going around town, these murders just quit. Stopped that day. And there's another theory, though, a more modern theory. Two years later, in London, similar murders start to take place by Jack the Ripper. More people are familiar with Jack the Ripper. And this was this is was kind of a known theory back then, and it wasn't disputed that heavily because over in London they didn't want to think it was one of their own people from London. They were happy to say it was a killer from Austin, so they were cool to go along with it. And Austin, Austin was you know happy to say, yeah, the killer's gone. He's over in London. So you know it was a theory, and Jack the Ripper was never, as far as I know, they. Know all kinds of theories, but neither one of these guys was ever caught. So, you know, that's the first serial serial murderer in Texas and America, the Midnight Assassin. That's crazy, man. That the is first, that's such a good find. The that's first such a good find, dude. Jack the Ripper thing was in 1888. Exactly. 80. Yeah, I think it was 88. Yeah, yeah, so we got this 1888 eight, to 1891. We got this 8-8 eight, eight thing going on, right? And if oh, we're that's gonna, Helena Pilvatsky too, man. If we're going to be talking about, you know, Masons and all that, yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of rumors with the Jack the Ripper thing that there were Masons involved and maybe even people in the elite uh, upper classes who were, you know, again, targeting people from the lower rungs. This In, in Jack the Ripper's case, it was like prostitutes and whatnot. But I don't think they had, I mean, I, I, maybe they did in Texas. Obviously, they probably did. But, you know, in Texas, it seems like the 
the emphasis was more on uh, servants and maybe even like uh, foreigners, immigrants, right? Like these, the victims were people who were transient to some degree. So who knows? Maybe this was some sort of uh, Masonic ritual that kicked off, you know, this sort of theater of violence that we've had in our culture uh, since, you know, the so-called industrial revolution. I just want to say that yeah, man. Uh, I personally think that um, the the obsession with serial right. killers in our current society and with glamorizing it online. Um, after, you know, uh, pe- people know that we did like some crazy deep dives on like lycanthropy and werewolfism and stuff. And then we did a big deep dive on the Dahmer and like a realization I kind of came to while doing a lot of that research and then researching like medical cannibalism, Paracelsian type of alchemy and like looking at deeper into the occult and like why blood is so heavily worshipped. I really do believe that, especially now that fucking Chad just knocked this ball straight out the fucking park. I'd never really known like the actual true depth history. Who was the first serial killer? And now thinking about it, you know, it's incredibly linked to um, well, this is ceremonial use. This is America's first serial killer. I don't know if this is, is this the first in the world? I think there was probably. No, I don't, I'm not saying it is, but I'm oh, that's significant nonetheless, because, yeah. you know, especially after, you know, the first three buildings that go up are Masonic buildings. Like those buildings, you build it in a sane asylum. We know what these old sane asylums are. They had to have high technology. They had to have master craftsmen, architecture ship to go into a lot of them, especially a lot of them, you know, in the Tartaria realm. Well, and also <laughs> you think l- about the effect on culture that this has. You, you want, you know, people to be engaged in the military. You want people to go and fight these world wars. Let's say we're in the position of people who are puppeteering events, right? This is all prior to, you know, a bunch of wars after the Civil War, obviously, but, uh, you know, a bunch of wars. And, you know, maybe this is uh, an example of a false flag not saying that the crimes didn't happen but they were the, the scenario that we're told is false that it's some lone you know some crazy person acting on their own will that's the assumption when really maybe it's a staged event in order to justify uh, police departments and militias and things that maybe people mm-hmm. were too comfortable to uh, accept because they didn't think that the world was dangerous because I would argue it it shouldn't be now naturally dangerous maybe you have to create some sort of fear some sort of chaos for the people to to get their shit together and listen to the people who are in power because they're the only ones who can save them or help them yeah well i mean it definitely feels like that's part of the 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 way they do things now but uh we can't you know can't just assume this is hundreds uh, almost more than a hundred years ago right more than a hundred Plus 1888, man. That's the so. year the Great Doctrine came out. I think Blavatsky uh, produced her 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 magna, magnum opus. So huh. definitely an occulted year, dude. Well, anyways, so what's next, Chad? <laughs> do you do you think that? Uh, what do you think about what we just said? I think it all could. You know, it's a hundred years ago. It's hard to know. It it could have been the black cloud of death. It could have been the the moon, or it could have been a, a lone assassin. It's, Maybe it was it's all super hard, hard to know that. But 
it could have been all of them. You know, it could have been the lone assassin from the moon that, you know, escaped from the lunatic asylum. Yeah. But one thing we, one thing that it did cause is, like I said, at the time it was super, super dark in town. So at one point when the, the white crowd was thinking it was the, the black crowd come doing it, they would actually, half of the town gathered in the middle of town because there was one street lamp. So the two options were you took your family under this one street lamp in the middle of town because there was some kind of light where you could see what was coming. Or the other the other guys supposedly had their families in the corners of their houses basically standing in front of them with shotguns waiting to see who came through the front door. So, I mean, these, these guys were terrified and a lot of it stemmed from well, they believed from the darkness. So after this, mm. their main concern was getting light in the town. And that's where the moon towers come into play. Oh. Approximately 10 years later, dun, they dun, buy dun, dun. from Detroit 30, I think it was 31 of these moon towers and had them shipped from Detroit down here to Austin, Texas. And from started Detroit. lighting up the town with these moon towers. Yep, and Austin's supposedly the only one who has any of these moon towers left. I want to say they got like 17 of them. Oh, yeah, it's right here on the sign. Well, and this is this is one of 31 original. Go ahead, Mark. This Mercury is one of 31 like... originals. But I, right. th- th- this is like the demonstration of planned obsolescence, right, where they Dude. have these, you know, crappy light bulbs that don't last more than a year now, uh, where in the past they are able to build these amazing things that <laughs> still exist and and produce light to this day. I mean, look at this thing. Like, they don't make carbon arc lamps for your home anymore, right? I mean, but there was a time when people probably had <laughs> furniture like that that they never needed to replace a bulb. I mean, you think about some of these, like, huge buildings with a 30, 40-foot ceilings. Like, they don't have uh, people go up to ladders and replace those light bulbs, you know? They have to... They have Is this... <laughs> go ahead. Is this when the I'm wondering because I'm wondering about the purple crown. We haven't looked into that yet because we're gonna let Emily get in on that. But you know, there's like this talk of the purple crown that is like a hue that shines around the city, right? And I'm like, okay, well, this is a cult as fuck, bro, because 31 of them, and then flip that the M. That's 13. That's you know the the 13th letter in the alphabet. M and 31, 13 M, like a motherfucker. And uh, I was looking looking at the little seal there, and I see that that lamp, and that's like a classic. I'm wondering if like they're like instilling some sort of like gin prophecy or like that like because mercury vapor also is the most toxic part of mercury in general that is mercury vapor is toxic as fuck and so i'm wondering if that is what created the purple crown of these fucking moon towers dude Mm -hmm. well i don't i think the purple elsewhere yeah the purple crown is is an is an effect that happens when you're like in an area that has like desert where the sun is setting right mm-hmm. like that's an effect of the sun setting over the desert i think i could be wrong but I, that's more of a bio, biome thing but Twilight. the uh city seal on there with the lamp uh the illumination lamp mm-hmm. i mean Illumin- that's yeah. yeah that's as typically i would argue you know like a, a indication yes. that they're trying to hint at 
oh, we're enlightened yes. or we're illuminated, right? And they, they were founded in 1839, so that's like enlightenment kind of after the enlightenment, right? Moonlight. Like, Post that's just so much. Oof, that, there, there's a lot going on with this, man. This is such a dig, bro. I wonder why they're yeah, only so in Austin. Supposedly, I don't know why they're... Austin, I mean, there's like, it sounds like there used to be a lot of them. Like, yeah. Like this is a picture of one downtown Detroit. It sounds like there are a lot of them. It seems like some cities would keep at least one of them just because they're cool. You know, mm. like, like here's the one in Austin. It still looks cool. You know, you see this moon tower from around town. Uh, to wow. me, it's kind of a mystery why these are the only ones left, you know? And yeah. I, Christmas time, they turn them into Christmas trees. They put out, hang all these lights mm-hmm. off of them. That was and sick. Like Maybe. you guys said, I heard a moon tower before. I couldn't remember where. If you ever, guys ever see Dazed and Confused? Yeah. The party at the moon tower. Oh, that's fast times. <laughs> yeah, it's that, Dazed yeah. and Confused. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So and, and that's all thanks to one of our listeners who sent in saying to take a look at the moon tower. So I want to thank him for that very much. So right on. Yeah, brother, much shout out no, to you, man. There is, yeah. And that was the, was that the message I shared in the telegram? Yes, that was the message, Mark. Absolutely. Well, let's let's read it because I should have read it earlier in the sh- show. Uh, and it is a a, a girl that yeah. uh, sent this. So Roman, uh, use the proper pronoun. It's twenty twenty two. Apologies. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm so terrible. I goodness. But anyways, Jeez. shout out to Shame Bubs. Sh- shout out to Bubs. Just call her Bubs Bird. That's uh, that's out. that's her Bubs uh, pseudonym. <laughs> I hope Sad she's a girl. I don't know. She's a female image as an avatar, so we'll see. Anyways. Hi there. I am listening to your second episode about Austin. I have many things to contribute. I don't know where to begin. I think maybe I'll just list my thoughts. So thank you for listing your thoughts. Uh, she was born here in 79. Thank you. And she spent pretty much her whole life here, third generation Austinite. And she says uh, that the Leanderthal lady we mentioned was is it's found in uh, Cedar Park, which is 33 miles east uh, of Austin. Okay, interesting. Uh, and then we have, she says, there are a bunch of mounds in Texas Hill count, Country. Um, very interesting. There's an old restaurant called the Clay Pit that my husband saw plates flying off the shelf in the basement. He has also Whoa. been in many what of the heck? underground tunnels that lead to the Capitol. Uh, they go yes. under the streets. There's a lot of construction here, even on my own property. Uh, when you dig, it's just limestone, so much limestone. Uh, there are a lot of Freemason halls besides the Scottish Rite Hall. Uh, they're all run down and covered in graffiti, obelisks out front and everything. Uh, Shoal Creek has a splash pad fountain, the same one that you noted in your, uh, when you mm-hmm. showed us that park, Chad, what was that? Ziggler, Zilger, Zilger, Zilker. Zilker. Thank you, Tara. Um, seven spiral vortexes, the way to get up 
to the pedestrian bridge that crosses the river at Lamar is a thick spiral ramp that is covered in vines. Hmm. Interesting. I don't see the part about the moon tower. Oh, there's a lot more. I'm sorry. Let's see. Where's the moon tower one? I don't know. Rad. Uh, <laughs> Rad. Chad, you're a better reader than I, so I, maybe you, you've caught something I missed. But, uh, uh. Oh, here it is, Moon Tower. Uh, as far as music goes, I have lots of info on that. Weird ritualistic stuff, music scene gravy, Moon Tower gravy. So, okay, you know, we do want people <laughs> We do want people to send us clues, tips, questions, but I think Bub's Bird uh, kind of put herself out there as a potential guest. So uh, get back to us if you want to be a guest on the show <laughs> and you can expand on all this stuff because I, I feel like I'm not doing your message justice just by briefly uh, skimming through it. Uh, but anyways, back to the tower, the moon tower, which has a comedy festival and a music festival named after it too. Yeah, so that, that's really all I got on the moon tower. But there is a, another tower in town, and this is the tower to the main building at the University of Texas, Austin. This is the main symbol UT, of the University baby. of Texas. UT burnt orange. You see all the roofs of the campus are burnt orange. Oh. But what what brings us to this tower today is it, we're talking a lot about mass casualty events. And it was from this tower in 1966, August 1st, that the first mass casualty school shooting took place. And from atop this tower, I don't, won't get into too much detail, but Charles Whitman, after killing his mom and killing his wife that morning, climbed to the top of this tower and killed 14 other people and wounded 30 some others. You know, awful event and it set a precedent for school shootings, you know, up into this present day. So here, here you can see, I mean, and this took place for 96 minutes. Same type thing, you know, mm -hmm. as the serial killing at this point, nobody expected anything like this to happen. But what I like to point out here is that it was the civilians and the students actually fought back. You can see at the bottom here, you got teachers with their guns. You got students out there. And it was actually a, two cops and a civilian who ended up killing the gunman up top. There was a, uh, I like this part. The two cops finally climbed the building with their pistols, and this guy is fully outarmed them. But there's also another, just a civilian from the co-op across the, across the street who grabbed his gun. And the cops looked over and there's a third guy and they asked him like, who, you know, who are you? What department you are you with? He's like, I'm, I'm with the co-op. You need to deputize me. And they deputized him right there. And, you know, they, they went in there and they got the guy. So, you know, I don't know. This wow. it just makes me think of Texas a lot, seeing all these teachers and students are fighting back. And a, after the cops up top, Texas you know, spirit. got the guy, they had to wave the white flag because, Texas, yeah, because the students were shooting back, you know. Well, it is so interesting, you know. in part what this tower is known for these days. Yeah, it's interesting, Go you ahead, know, Mark. with the with the sort of Second Amendment, uh, you know, really championed in Texas that that would be the place where the first school shooting takes place. And, you know, I'm not, uh, 
I'm not, you know, saying anything new to you guys if I'm suggesting that these things may be staged, right? We just talked about how they Jack the Ripper and, and the uh, first serial killer in Austin, Texas, possibly were staged or, you know, done by people with an ulterior agenda. Who knows? Maybe this follows suit. I mean, uh, it seems like they want to target places where people care about guns. If you ask me, uh, a lot of the places where there have been these terrible events coincidentally are in places where, um, you know, there's active um, gun rights groups and, and things like that. And I don't know how many people who are part of guns rights groups would go out and, and do something like this. You know, it just, just doesn't make sense. So yeah, it's, it's strange. It makes you wonder if there's an agenda behind it. I, I'm not the first guy to suggest that certainly, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's a dark, dark tower when you learn about the history. I mean, it's sort of looming there. Um, what's, what's above the clock? Is there some kind of like, uh, like symbol? Okay. No, it's sort of just, uh, well, I guess it's symbolic, but I was wondering those if there's are, any like gods or goddesses. 56 Carolyn bells. Okay. Huh. Yeah. So as dark as the tower is, what most, a lot of people recognize it for now is, this, is that shooting, but the tower itself is a pretty amazing symbol, you know, I got some information right here. The tower's walls are constructed of Indiana limestone. Its red roof tiles are produced in Spain. Much of the marble of its steps and floors was mined in Tennessee, Missouri, New York, and Vermont. Austin shellstone, a quarried limestone, frames the doorways of the main building. Texas marbles found along the grand stairways. Uh, the rim and the hands of the tower clock are gilded with gold leaf. And above the observation deck, a belfry contains the Knicker Carolyn, 56 bells that ring on the quarter hour and are played by a guild of student Caroliners, Caroliners, people who play the Carolyn bells. So not only are there Carolyn bells up top, but there is lighting functions built into the building. So whenever the... University of Texas football team or basketball team will win a game that will light the building up in the burnt orange color. If there's a solemn occasion, they light it up in some darker colors, but there are functions for each occasion. So this building, depending on the day, will be lit up different colors and producing different sounds. So symbolically, you know, symbolically, this tower in the middle of Austin is a transmitter and it's a receiver. And it's a, you know, it's a clock tower. It's a keeper of time. It's a transmitter of the light that it puts off, the sound, the bells, the Carolyn bells. And it's a receiver of the focus and the attention of the millions of people around town every quarter hour that hear it and visually look up at it. Mm. You know, so that's the one thing we can say about this tower that, you know, I think it's got some pretty cool symbolism. A lot of people know it for the devastation, but the tower itself, you know, it's a transmitter and receiver. Now what's being transmitted and received, you know, that's, that's up for speculation. A hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent. It seems but symbolically. That's what. Go ahead, Tara. Um, I was just, well, it's, I was just reading in um, 
one of our books, The Handprint of the Gods, like how they would they build mm-hmm. these these towers and basically like all significant buildings to well, they said it better than I'm going to, but to channel the the earth's energy into and and vice versa from from space <laughs> generally speaking but so maybe absolutely know, you know it's basically the same thing i've said every no absolutely it's a it's an accumulator it's an accumulator of space and time it's an accumulator of earth energies it's an accumulator of space energy otherworldly energies and then it can be a transmitter of those energies so you know i think it's when you look at these towers it can be all of the above i think all the above and unfortunately this one was used for a bad occasion and it's got that memory but i like to point out some of the other stuff about it Mm. Uh, one last thing we're talking about mass casualties of course right up the road from austin was waco i'm not going to get into all the details but just making the point, there's been a lot of mass casualty events that took place, a lot of bloody events, a lot of slaughter events on this ground. And I'm going to leave it at that as far as the darkness today. Well, you don't have any details uh, on that? Uh, I've never I've well, never heard of that. Before we go, a lot, can I hold on. a lot of people. 86 on, is a lot, a lot, a lot. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, yeah Roman. Not yet. Ro- wait. So, <laughs> Roman, are you saying you haven't heard of Waco? Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. I'm, before we get to that, I want to go back to the tower. I had something to say about the tower, and Tara has something to yeah. say. Go ahead, Tara. I just wanted to say this because Waco came up. But um, Waco, Tonkawa is a Waco tribal word for they all stay together. So I thought that was a nice mm. thing. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. The awesome. Uh, the tower. I was going to say something about the tower, but we've moved on to Waco. Roman, uh, you don't know about Waco. Nope. Let's do. Let's do the tower, Mark. <laughs> let's well, do it. <laughs> no, I. No, we're trying to. We don't want to go too dark, but you know, a bunch of there. It was closed again for a bunch of people jumping off of it, mm-hmm. which is also sad. But then, you know, I was going to bring yes. up the fact that a clock yeah. tower is naturally uh, Saturnian. And mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to mm-hmm. find a date on why, when the f- tower was finished, but I'd be interested to find out if maybe it was built during the month that Saturn rules. So I don't know, just a thought. But, uh, yeah. yeah, Waco, obviously a dark time in, in history and connected to uh, connected to Austin in a weird way, connected to this conspiracy culture. Uh, Roman, uh, you should look it up, man. It's, I mean, obviously a lot to get into for this episode, but for people who don't know, David Koresh had a sort of uh, religious um community for lack of a better term with maybe a political orientation as well they had a lot of guns and whatnot they believed in the second amendment and there was a series of things that 
they were involved in uh, that maybe were like FBI type uh, setups mm. or stings. Maybe the FBI There's going was to be a movie on it, right? Targeting them, and then uh, on this day yes. pictured here, uh, the FBI, you know, killed everybody and burned down the building. I don't actually. I shouldn't it's, say the FBI. It might have been. Um, it might have been the Department of. Uh, tobacco and firearms a bureau to and like the atf and like maybe another federal government organization either way the feds burnt this place to the ground and it's been sort of like a historic um you know one of the many events that we can cite as conspiracy theorists to show like hey the government doesn't have our best interests in mind look at these people who are potentially abiding by the constitution you know, they don't get a fair trial. They get their whole community burned down. I mean, the same thing happened in uh, Philadelphia with the jump uh, movement where their building was blown up by C4 that was dropped on it from a helicopter. And that was in the 80s. Mm. The, the federal government blew up their uh, apartment housing in Philadelphia. So, yeah, the government has a long history of screwing with people who want to maybe do something mm -hmm. independent of the federal government, which you know, our constitution should allow us to do. But uh, anyways, that's Waco. Roman, go watch a movie about it. Uh, anybody so, listening, uh, go watch a movie about it. What else do we got? We got Texas cryptids. Yeah, we'll, we'll lighten it up a little bit. I don't want to end it like that. So we'll, we'll get into some Texas cryptids and... and well, big Bigfoot's, you know, the one we hear about a lot. So I put out there the, the Bigfoot sighting map. And you can kind of see how the sightings of Bigfoot, kind of the edge of them come up to Austin. But I, I went through some, you know, I'm going to go through any actual sightings, but I read through some of them, and they're all pretty similar. I mean, seems like they're spotting the same creature out there in, in Texas. But the one we know Texas is, you know, known for is the Chupacabra. And the legend of the Chupacabra actually started down in Puerto Rico and Argentina and kind of worked its way up into Texas. And there are kind of two different versions of the Chupacabra. And this is what I consider the first kind of more alien-looking version. More, more down in Puerto Rico and Argentina. They got these scales on their back and these red eyes. And chupacabra actually means goat sucker. So people would find their goats and chickens supposedly drained of blood. And people started mm. saying they were seeing the chupacabra in Texas. This, this kind of all started in the early 90s. So it wasn't even that long ago that the chupacabra thing took off. Now, down in Texas and Austin and Houston and that area, they see creatures that look like this. And they're, they're calling this the chupacabra. But they've, they've actually got some of these creatures. As you can see, this one's mounted, and they've had DNA testing done on them. And it comes back basically a coyote hybrid of some kind that probably has yeah, age. That, it, but, dude, yeah. I mean, like, I've seen, I've, I've actually skinned and tanned my fair share of coyotes. And this is, um, 
Yeah, like this is a hybrid (laughs) as fuck. Like this, this is some yeah, definitely next level. Talk about werewolf symbolism, shit, man. Like this is a big dog. That is a big wild dog, but it's hairless. Like what? Mm. Just a few days ago, that's what they're saying. That it's got. It has to be a combination. Just a few days ago, Tara and I uh, had a coyote encounter. We. We saw a coyote running in the road uh, right by our car. It was almost like bleach white. I mean, it could have looked lighter because of our headlights Mm -hmm. shining on it, but it was like kind of ghostly the way it was so white. I'd never seen a coyote with like a white coat like that. And, you know, it was all in the road. A bunch of cars had to stop and look at it. And it was heading towards the dog park. So I don't know what that coyote was up to, but, uh, but interestingly enough, in Hawaiian, in Hawaiian lore, they say like, Madam Pele will reveal herself to you as a white dog. Oh yeah. Wow. Mm. Huh. So maybe wow. you know, could could have been a deity of sorts. That'd be pretty key, I mean. It would be. So here, here's a sighting map oh. of the chupacabra, kind of the same thing as the Bigfoot. This kind of borders up on Austin and Houston, but you know enough of them that culturally, downtown Austin, they have a chupacabra canteen. <laughs> This is what kept popping up when I typed in Chupacabra Austin. So I actually they actually had some really cool nice. swags. They had some cool beanies and t-shirts. I was gonna I was wanted to order us some, but they don't have them on their website. They don't have a website. <laughs> we'll all go uh, down. We gotta go down. Actually, I was gonna get a yes. hold of Emily and ask her to go get us some stuff. But before <laughs> I did, I came across this article, which changed my mind about Ooh. asking Emily to go down there. Oh, Come no. to find out there's a mass shooting inside the Chupacabra. Whoa. 14 shot, two critically injured. So, Recently? Uh, you know, I guess this is where true true crime meets the paranormal. I don't know, you know. <laughs> wow. But I still want to go there. CC, Chupacabra camera, CC 33 in Mason Town, bro, 14 and 2. Triple 2, baby. Well, it is interesting that this uh, canteen... Because you showed us like the depictions of the chupacabra, and you said that they were blood sucking, but you didn't say they, or you said they were they would eat goats. You didn't say they were goats. So this is kind of interesting because it's like halfway between a goat and a chupacabra. They use the <laughs> yeah. word goat as their phone number, uh, and then. You gotta wonder, oh. like, what's that? Oh, ki- what's that kind of uh, symbolize here? Because that chupacabra oh. looks more like a baphomet, if you ask me. <laughs> you it know, does. Yeah. absolutely, it does. It looks like a goat and chupacabra hybrid. Yeah, I point that out. I didn't notice that, but it does. Totally. And it also has a heart as a nostril. Uh, just up the road. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And just up the road from Austin is Round Rock, and it's actually a minor league baseball team, and it's their, you know, it's their mascot is the Chupacabras. So, you know, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing, you know. Nice. Love it. Well, maybe we should go see a minor league baseball game instead of going to the cantina. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It might be a good idea. Idea. <laughs> hey, dogman, dude. So I'm saying. this ain't in Austin, but new at a zoo. Yeah, this is a game cam. 
Yeah, relatively new. May of this year. This is the game cam from the uh, Armorillo Zoo. And they caught this on the game cam. They actually put it on the news and asked the public for help identifying what this was. It looks uh, like the video game you know, character, uh, the fox. What's the guy that uh, I'm not a video game buff enough to know this, but it looks like that video game guy that does like the Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, well, Crash Bandicoot, yeah, now that you say it, but it's a different one that I'm doing. Dude, I love Crash. I used to play that a lot. That was uh, that and wow. Rayman. Do you guys remember Rayman for Sega? It kind of also looks like what Disney put in the, what is it, those movies about... Uh, uh, Pinocchio or is it Peter Pan they have like those weird fox villain guys that like steal the children and bring them to Peter Pan's island or something like that isn't that mm. what happens in Peter Pan there's like the fox villain guys they're like you know Dude, uh, they're on the tip foxes. of remaking that they gotta be like out of all Disney remakes the fact they haven't redone like a full live action CGI Peter Pan yet. Oh, wow. Well, that's kind of mind better, blowing. You better get your resume to them because we know you'd be a great fit for old <laughs> Peter Pan. I am applying for the role of PP. <laughs> but you guys see it, right? Like there's clearly a fox <laughs> snout face here. Like I see a fox when I look at this thing, like a, a fox with a skinny like body, like arms and legs. So is it yeah, is it like it, more yeah. white fur because of the night camera? Like, is it giving it that extra glow, or do you think it actually has like white fur, no. almost like we were just talking about? No, I don't know. It's it's a game cam, so usually you know they snap with a flash. Yeah, yeah, so it's, hard, it's hard to tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah interesting, but, man. I mean, so the, that's the, the, I wouldn't call that a chupacabra, but it's canine like. <laughs> To me, it could be a guy in a costume. I don't know, but no. it's interesting. <laughs> Looks like a skinwalker, dude. Love it. Oh, what? Yep. No. Okay, so we we found <laughs> the connection yeah. to owls last week, and this happened to pop up when I was looking at Texas cryptids, and this was in a newspaper called the Texas Hill Country. And the name of the article was Chased by the Texas Owl Man, and it was by uh, Max McNabb. Now, I, I'm going to read it. As this re- wow. It'll take a few minutes, but I'm going to read it. I think it's worth the read. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yes, I never really do. heard an Owl Man case before. So here <laughs> we go. In 1981, Jamie was a high school freshman in West Texas. One night, he went out with five buddies to hunt jackrabbits. The friends piled into a pickup and drove out southwest to the small town of Sundown, Texas. They were driving around the oil lease, then called the Central Mallet Unit, when all of a sudden the pickup died. Around 20 minutes later, the vehicle started up again by itself. Despite how strange that was, they were having too good a time to pay it any mind. Being young and dumb, Jamie said, we didn't think of anything about it. So they drove a little farther. They stopped and climbed out the pickup ready for the hunt, carrying the rifles and lights. They walked out into the dark. After a while, they walked over a hill and looked down on a fence line 60 yards away. That's when they saw it, something big and white that was sitting on the fence. They stared at it in the distance, trying to decide what it was. The creature looked like an owl, only about five times as large. What the heck is that, Jamie asked. The young hunters shone their lights on the white creature, 
It turned its head and looked at us, Jamie said. The giant owl's red eyes shone bright above its beak. It stared at the hunters, then spread its enormous wings 12 feet across. They saw its red chest as the creature took flight. All of a sudden, this thing takes off, Jamie said. It's kind of just started going toward us. Well, now we're scared. They ran back to the pickup, hearts pounding, and one guy slid behind the wheel. Jamie got in the passenger seat, and the three others jumped in the pickup bed. The driver sped off, but they could see the giant owl creature coming after them. This thing was following us, Jamie said. The three guys in back were screaming like girls. The driver punched the accelerator, but the creature kept coming, gaining on them. Its huge wings were pale in the night, and its red eyes shone through the darkness. One of the hunters in the pickup bed raised his rifle and took aim, pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. The rifle wouldn't fire. I asked Jamie if he thought his friend had just been too terrified to flick off the safety or the chamber around, but he didn't think so. He had the impression of something, an unexplainable force, preventing the weapon from firing. The three hunters in the back of the pickup screamed. Now the creature was right on their tail. It was hovering over the vehicle, Jamie said. I mean, actually right behind us, just clawing at the tailgate and scratching up the truck. By that time, we got on the highway, and it was still following us. I bet we were going as fast as the truck would go. And we're all pale, and we're all scared to death. Well, the giant owl thing chased them into sundown, and we finally swung into town. We flew into town, Jamie said, and a sundown cop was parked at the end of town on the south side. We passed him, and then he caught right behind us but never turned on his lights. We turned off towards my dad's house, and the cop just kept going straight. He didn't stop us. I might have thought I was dreaming, but when I saw the cop didn't even stop us, he just kept going past. I knew he had seen something also. And sundown, the giant owl gave up chase. They reached home alive, terrified. I was so sick, Jamie said. I couldn't go to school for two days. A lot of people didn't believe us. But other people had kind of seen something like that before out here. But nobody had really got that close or experienced it as we did. We were scared to death. I don't know what it was. It always has been imprinted in my memory. Whoa. That's the story of the Owl Man of Sundown. Gnarly, dude. Absolute gnar. Um, wow. <laughs> the Mothman. Yeah, I remember when I spoke with um, with Lon exactly. Strickler. Lon Strickler talked about these owl men in Chicago. I'm sure you heard about that. Chicago. Yep. Yep. For sure. Huh. For sure. So I, I thought it was interesting, tower. especially moon considering towers, man. the moon towers and all the owls we were looking at. Right. And, you know, Ooh. now this owl, 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 man. Yeah. So, <laughs> Woody, dude, that's awesome, man. Those are great digs, dude. Like, this is blowing my mind. I love this. This is my favorite uh, way we're doing the show now, like where we yeah. all just <laughs> dig into it. Like, well, and. Uh, Man, we have like, to do another. We're going more, right? We're doing more Austin because I feel like we could keep going on yeah. this. Oh yeah, we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna do. <laughs> we're gonna start a new place in January. You know, obviously, uh, we got the holidays coming up, but um, may, maybe we can ask Emily if she'll join us for another episode, and we can get into the Purple Crown. Maybe she'll join us like the last week of December if she can. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to do another episode next week and bubs and, uh, and yeah, well, bubs, if you're listening, I'll be in touch. 
you get in touch with us, whatever happens first, I'll probably get in touch with them before this episode comes out. But uh, that's Austin for now, folks. We're going to come back to it next mm-hmm. week. And, uh, and yeah, I, I don't have much final words. I'm just kind of shocked by that owl story, especially considering <laughs> uh, what I've learned about owls. I mean, we've had uh, – we, t- we mentioned this briefly – when the owl thing came up with the shapes of the buildings. But uh, Mike Cleland talks about a lot of weird owl synchronicities with UFOs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how about, I don't know about you guys, but I've had a few owl encounters myself that were more than just seeing an animal or a bird, right? So uh, I definitely think there's something to it. Uh, some owl magic possibly going on in Austin, Texas. But uh, that's all I have to say, folks. Uh, Chad, Roman, Tara, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I lived in uh, I lived in the woods for a while. I used to work at an outdoor survival school that was um, for both adults and kids. And I used to teach cooking because for people that don't know, uh, I'm a trained trained food magician, and I whip ingredients into beautiful dishes uh, and I worked my ass off in kitchens for a long long time <laughs> uh, anyways um, but I used to work at this school and we were out in the Marmot Valley in Oregon and we would camp down in, on this property that was owned by Trackers Earth and the barn owls owls make mysterious noises in the dark and they like birds in general are beautiful, beautiful vocalizers. Birds make beautiful noises. I like to use them samples and music and all the things, man. But but owls uh, are loud. And uh, yeah, it's super creepy actually kind of hearing them. Like I'd like to be like, it's such a spiritual experience. No, it's pretty fucking creepy when you start hearing owls. And um, yeah, I've seen lots <laughs> of owls up close, but I've never, I've never had a UFO or paranormal experience with them. But I do feel like that property might have been haunted at some oh, point. Man. Lots of energies going we around. Saw one the other day? Yeah, we saw an owl. Yeah. Yeah, but no, we've heard owls before. I think we've heard owls before. Um, yeah, owl. one more thing about birds. The tower we were talking about has a resident peregrine falcon nicknamed Tower Girl. Um, so I yeah. don't know, uh, maybe peregrine yeah. falcons, they might not be awake when owls are awake, but I don't feel, I feel like they wouldn't get along those two birds. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but, uh, cool. Well, that's Austin, Texas for now. Uh, until next time, folks, you know where to get in touch with us. Esoteric America on Instagram or esoteric America podcast at gmail.com. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, like, tell your friends about it. And, of course, go over to the podcast apps and subscribe there. We talked about some touchy stuff this episode. Who knows if YouTube will allow it this episode to stick around. We don't know. So go over and subscribe to the podcast feed uh, so you'll never miss an episode of Esoteric America. And, of course, we got the Rockfin going uh, for now on my channel, but I think we'll have to make a uh, separate channel for Esoteric America moving forward now that we've committed to doing it every month. Uh, So awesome. Until next time, folks. Enjoy exploring this exo- esoteric America. All around the water tank, waiting for a train. 
a thousand miles away from home, sleeping in the rain. I walked up to a brakeman to give him a line of talk. He says, if you've got money, I'll see that you don't walk. I have got a nickel, not a penny can I show. Get off, get off, your railroad bomb, they slam the boxcar door. Put me off in Texas, a state I dearly love. The wide open spaces all around me, the moon and stars above. Nobody seems to want me or lend me a helping hand. I'm on my way from Dixie, I'm going back to Dixieland. But my pocketbook is empty. And my heart is full of pain I'm a thousand miles away from home Just waiting for a train Hoodalee, 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 hoodalee,